Welcome to the Macafab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and component phase-outs. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Delman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 335. You want to do your spiel about jobs? Oh, yeah, I, I guess we should. Um, go t- If you're looking for a job and you want to work for Macrofab, like we all do, go to macrofab.com slash jobs. There's a lot available, so go check it out. <clears throat> so I have to admit, I've gotten a little bit jealous of Parker the last couple of weeks because he's had some cool projects that he's been doing, and I haven't had any cool projects that I've done for the podcast in a while. So I'm like, you know what? I need a podcast project. Um, but I want one that's not like so uh, like really intense. Um, maybe this is. I don't know. Um, so I, I'm, I'm trying to scratch an itch with like a podcast project that I can kind of throw together and and get something that's useful that I would actually want. But maybe I don't have to like design the world from scratch kind of kind of thing. So one of the things I've I've I don't have in my arsenal of tools and I've always kind of wanted is a differential probe for an oscilloscope. So I started uh, poking around uh, to see if there's anything out there like reference designs or whatnot. And I've actually found two of them that both look really interesting um, and have promise. Um, one of them I, I just found on a website called um, circuitcellular.com. And it's like a whole blog post about this design that they have um, that goes through a lot of the details. And the second project is actually from um, Hackaday. And that one is a little bit, not a little bit, quite a bit more in, in depth. The Hackaday project has a ton of information about what they're, uh, about the whole design and testing and calibration. And uh, there's been a bunch of people who have built it. So uh, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in in both of them. They both ha- kind of have a little bit of different characteristics about them that I may try to do a hybrid of the two. I may go with one. I may, wh- wh- what'll probably end up happening is I'll take the schematic. I'll massage it a little bit to, for a little bit more of my characteristics. Um, make my own board because making boards is fun. Uh, and, uh, and then just build it, uh, you know, the way kind of I want it. And and really, a lot of this stems from the fact that a few months ago, I was gifted a 3D printer, and I have yet to actually print anything, like, for a project on it. I've printed, like, three or four things, and they've all just been, like, goofy. E-waste. Like, e-waste. Yeah. <laughs> plastic. <laughs> P-waste. Plastic. Waste. Yeah, um, plastic waste. They, like, they've been, like, little, like star Wars statues and things like that just for fun and to calibrate the machine. But I'm like, I want to print something. So I'm thinking if I, if, if this all works out, I'll design this board around uh, an enclosure that can fit on the bed of the 3d printer. So the size of the board is dictated by the size of my 3d printer, which is small. Uh, so th- that's, that's sort of like the mindset right now. I still haven't decided like fully how, or I want to go about this, but w- one of the reasons why I was thinking, um, well, well, first of all, for, for those who are not, uh, who don't, uh, know what a differential probe is, a differential probe versus a single ended probe allows you to choose what your reference voltage is basically. So, so a single ended probe is always ground reference, right? You, the ground mm-hmm. clip thing that's on the end of your probe that's connected to, chassis ground inside your oscilloscope so anything that you measure 
on um, uh, in in your device is going to be ground reference. So there's a, there's a lot of situations where you can't just put your probe across a component in your device because you end up shorting something out because you're just connecting something directly to ground. Well, a differential probe can help solve that. Um, they're not like end all be all magical, but they, for the most part, allow you to, to connect uh, your positive and your negative to whatever you want. And then you're measuring the difference between those. Um, so, so uh, I, I feel like that's something I don't have in my, in my box. And I have some use cases that are going through my mind where it's like, mm, maybe I can, maybe I could scrounge up a, a good reason for that. Also, it sounds like fun because it's a, it's kind of a sensitive analog project that uh, that would be a good project to have under my belt, I think. So, <clears throat> Um, I'm just looking at how much like off-shelf ones costs. They're not cheap, especially for what I'm going for. Because, okay, so th for for the the project that I found that's from CircuitCellular.com, one of the nice things is at least just this is stated on the schematic. I need to dig deeper into it, but on, stated on the schematic, they say the common mode voltage range is 600 volts, and the differential uh, mode voltage range is also 600 volts. So that scratches a big itch for me to be able to measure uh, ranges, you know, in within large uh, mm -hmm. So in other words, if you're trying to look at small signals on a high voltage range, you can do that with this. Um, that particular one also has two voltage ranges, um, a 10x and a 100x. So you can you can really get down in there um, with with both of those. The uh, the other thing is, and I really like this. They uh, the the circuit cellular device. So since they're all active, they have to have power, right? Well, the circuit cellular mm -hmm. one has a um, a rechargeable lipo in it, so you can you can plug in and charge it up. I'm thinking I might go a battery route also and put an eighteen um, six fifty in there and do a boost converter to bring it up to what I need. It actually needs that circuit runs bipolar five, negative five. So, so make a boost converter circuit and a battery charging circuit and then run it all off of a 18650. That would be pretty cool. As opposed to having to always have a, um, like a power supply, like a wall wart yeah. to run your probe. That's, uh, I mean, that's fine. And the thing is, I, I probably wouldn't use this very often, but I actually did run into a situation the other day where I was messing with some, transformers and measuring some things where i realized that if i just stuck my scope probe i would have shorted out a a uh, a rectifier and that would have been no bueno and and having yeah. a differential probe would have worked in that situation and at, like it's kind of in my situation it's kind of rare when you actually need one but if i could build one i think that would be cool to just have in the tool chest so uh, we'll see. Like, I think that's that's kind of what I'm leaning towards doing something next because I don't think it's a super heavy lift to pull one of these off. Also, my requirements. I'm not. I don't need this thing to go up to 100 megahertz. Like it. Like it doesn't even need to be as good as a as a passive pro for for what I need it to do. So uh, I just kind of like the differential nature and the high common mode uh, nature of it because that 600 volt common mode is larger than what my input is on my scope so i can go mm -hmm. uh, a little bit bigger and i could look at signals across taps on a transformer with a differential so i kind of like that idea um and then doing like a whole battery based system and making my own enclosure for it uh that i don't know i feel like there's some kind of like hobbyist award that i get 
if you do all of that, right? Like you make your own enclosure and like, like that sounds hackaday ish and, and whatnot. So. Yeah. Um, how much power do those differential probes take? Not very much. Here's the, the thing about the differential probes is for the most part, what it is, is it's precision voltage division on the front end. Mm -hmm. So just a bunch of passives and it goes into effectively an instrumentation amp. It's, it's an op amp, uh, but you're basically going into massive input impedance. So yeah, massive impedance. Right. Yeah. So so most of these things run on two or three stages of well, three stages of op amps. So a few milliamps in those. Um and and a lot of your performance is based off of what op amps you choose there. And some of these designs are like they're choosing like twelve dollar op amps that are like gigahertz like two pico amp uh mm -hmm. input bias current kind of stuff like like way 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 out there stuff and i've seen a couple of others that were <clears throat> a lot didn't care about the, the characteristics as much and we're just using like jelly bean op amps and you can still get something that i guess works but i i think if i'm gonna build one or two of these things i i'll probably just pony up and get like I don't know, a cork sniffer op amp that's like way, way I was say up there. A bespoke op amp. Bespoke, yeah. <laughs> hand wired op amps. Yeah. Um well, no, they take the die and they hand wire bond it to the to the <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, there's just there's like this old gray beard with a loop and he's sitting there with gold wires. Yeah. <clears throat> the um because you th think you were you were playing on an 18650 which are that's a pretty chunky battery yeah and like you'd probably charge it once in the entire lifespan of that probe that's sort uh, of what i'm thinking i would just use a coin cell i guess so uh i like two coin cells yeah i mean uh the the, the thing about it is i haven't studied too much the op amps they might be mm -hmm. thirstier than, uh, than yeah, what I'm yeah. thinking. So I need to look at what the entire current draw is. Um, at the same time, we were also talking about a boost converter, which is going to have low efficiency at low um, current. current. So it's even if it's, you know, even if the total draw of all the analog stuff is say 10 milliamps, it may be a 40 milliamp draw from the battery. Yeah, for the booster. Right. Yeah. All so, that loss in that inductor. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, all the, uh, yeah, having to, do little little tiny uh pulses to keep everything happy most happy, most yeah. uh yeah. i've i've run into the situation that most of the circuits i design always fit on the way way left side of all the efficiency curves of these data sheets you pull up because like i i on smps like controllers and stuff I, you pull it up and they show usually in the bottom right of the first page they're like here's the efficiency curve you can get somewhere in like 94 percent efficiency i'm not pulling a constant three amps i'm pulling like yeah 100 milliamps like i need 94 percent efficiency like down there and like it just you're not getting it let's just put it that way so usually when uh most of my situations are so not critical in terms of the power draw i usually design the circuit and then find out what efficiency I got, as opposed to designing <laughs> for an efficiency. Well, because because it's it's just difficult. Um, and I could I could spend a gazillion hours trying to figure it out, or I could just figure it, find out, tune it as best as I can when I have the circuit done, and then just say, yeah. this is where I'm at, you know. So yeah, it, it, 
Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go. Keep going. Well, I was just going to say, like, I, I think, I think this is a, this is a, a circuit that I, I mean, a whole project effectively that I'm not going to do from scratch because I've got two really good reference designs that are known working. So I'm going to basically take what they have and just adjust it, make my own board, yeah. and then figure it out from there. Uh, adjust the secret sauce of it, so to speak. Yeah, because I mean, okay. That's the thing that I've been looking at with these uh, or figuring out with these diff probes is when you when you go and you buy a diff probe from from one of the, the big names and you spend a gazillion dollars. In a lot of ways, you're not spending a ton of money on like this like super, super secret sauce, like crazy design. Like they're all mm-hmm. basically the same general structure what you're paying for is somebody who sat and like fine-tuned everything and made sure that all the right values were were selected and all the high tolerance things were in the right place and so it works in the most situations right right like every everyone that i've seen has basically the same structure to them because like this is one of those ones where like sure there's multiple ways to skin the cat but almost everyone chooses one way to skin this cat they just you know mm-hmm. a little bit different <laughs> each time i don't know that's a weird analogy now <laughs> yeah uh multiple ways to decap an ic there we go have you yeah. ever done that decap an ic um, not on purpose. <laughs> you've, yeah, you've, like you've had to blow up, right? I've had them blow up <laughs> and expose the inside. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 for sure. I actually like it when that happens, uh, and and the reason why is because it's just so much easier to diagnose when, when oh. <laughs> a chip pukes. You know. Yes, yeah, so you're like, ah, oh, there's the problem. You know, one of one of my uh, one of the guys I just hired a few months ago. Um, I, I hired him to be a repair technician. We were talking about methods of finding shorts and, and there's the classic, you know, one we've talked about a hundred times where you just turn it on and find out what gets hot. And uh, yeah. And, and like it either destroys itself or you found it out and then you, you, you fix that or you fix it. Yeah. He, he, he came up. Well, I think he'd read somewhere and then, and then tried it out. Another one that, that, Ah, oh, it's brilliant in my opinion. You get a little spray bottle and you put some uh, some alcohol in it, and you you turn on your circuit and you just spray, and whatever evaporates fastest or first, that's getting really hot. And there you go. You don't need hmm. a thermal camera or anything. You just spritz down your board, and there you go. I wonder if there's any other bad. I, I, it probably depends on how much voltage you have and how much that will decrease the creepage. Oh yeah. The, like, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Let's just say what uh, doing that isn't necessarily the safest. So I, we're working on low voltage stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say like if you're running mains or something on there and like you spritz it in like half the, the <laughs> creepage distance, get some arc flashing with yeah. a volatile liquid on your board. There we go. Okay. So, so you're right. <laughs> Do this in low voltage applications uh, and applications where like parasitics aren't going to cause problems and things yeah cause problems so i thought that was oh, a cute man. solution though that is, is that's an interesting idea idea yeah. yeah thermal camera is probably the best yeah <laughs> well okay definitely the, 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 definitely the safest uh, someone someone brought a board to me it was a personal uh device and they um 
they, they brought it to me. They're like, Hey, this isn't working. Can you help me out? And so I was, uh, I was like, Oh man, you spent like 600 bucks on this thing. Yeah, for sure. Like I really hope we can fix it because you know, parts are so hard to find right now. And mm. I, I turn it on, I'm measuring voltages. I'm looking around. It's like, yeah, this isn't working. What's going on. I look down, there's an STM 32 processor. I'm like, Oh man, I really hope that's not, that's not toast because first of all, you can't find it. Second of all, like the code's not available for it. I put my finger on it and it's just like, ow. And uh, oh, no. I was like, oh, sorry, dude, your STM is roasted. Uh, and, and the thing that sucks for him, he's got to throw the whole thing away or I mean, yeah, part it out or do whatever, recycle it. But like, it's worthless to him now. So yeah, sucks. Yep. That's, that's one thing to think about is, uh, um, right to repair won't help you if you can't get the part. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Absolutely. It's not like, like, let's say whoever, whatever manufacturer made that thing. It's like, is it that manufacturer's fault that the world supply of SCN32s are unavailable? Hmm. Like, what does the law even say about that? Like, because, you know, like when we're talking about right to repair stuff, um, part of the uh, laws, I guess, or, or not laws, but. Um, oh, what's the right word for it? Um, regulation yeah regulations or rules or it it wasn't a law but anyways um part of that was you had to make sure the parts were available right you know that people could go buy them i bet you i well i bet you the the language isn't that black and white it's probably it probably gives some leeway and says you know within reason make sure that parts are available or something like that so in other words like don't have one stm on your shelf regularly you know um but you know barring circumstances like i don't know the entire world can't buy stuff like i'm pretty sure there's allowances yeah i I just i want to know what where that lies that'd be very interesting to think about yeah um yeah speaking of parts you can't buy um, last week, uh, EPS News came out with an article. Who who wrote this article again? Um, Barbara wrote this article. <laughs> Just Barbara. Um, <laughs> uh, Thanks, Barbara. It was, yeah. It, 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 this is kind of like what we were talking about last week and the week before that with... Um, uh, oh, why am I blanking on the name again? I, 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 I've had like five hours. What, what so. Cody? <laughs> yeah, Co- yeah, Cody. Um, we're ta- talking about um, chip shortages and how possibly uh, old chips will just go obsolete and just not be made anymore. And this was an article about that. It is uh, end of life, the chip shortage you didn't see coming. And it talks about basically what we were talking about, instant obsolescence, which is, you know, instead of having a phase out or anything like that, it just, they just don't make it anymore. Um, yeah, you called this out. You've been calling this out for a few weeks saying like, this is going to happen. Yeah. I mean, cause I'm, I'm, we're seeing it with our customers is what, what's happening is you have these parts that are, you know, the lead times are 52 plus weeks now. And the manufacturers like, sure, you can order them, but you're, it's going to be a long time. And basically customers go either. We, you know, we either wait forever to possibly not get the part or we redesign. Mm-hmm. And so we redesign with a part we can get right now. 
And this is what that article is basically talking about is the only reason why these old chips are being manufactured is because people are ordering them, right? Because they can sell them. Um, They're not selling them because they're high margin or anything. They already have customers, but they're, these manufacturers are at the point where they're not going to make those because they have orders for all these other products that are higher margin. So they'd rather, you know, run those on their line and they just go, well, kind of too bad on these other parts. We'll just keep pushing lead time out until kind of people stop ordering and start canceling their orders. And then we just will obsolete that part. Yeah. Poof. It's gone. Yeah. Poof is gone. Um, but yeah, it was, this article is talking about how like foundries are now like booked three years out on production, which is insane to think about. So if you have a part that is an older part that you're basically piggybacking off of, let's say, automotive industry, you're buying a bunch of them and then you're buying the leftovers, which honestly is how most of this stuff works, is, is when you go to Mauser and buy one microcontroller, like Microsoft, um, not Microsoft, uh, microchip isn't like, building that one for you you're getting the leftovers from some other ginormous big order right they sweep the stuff that's on the floor and give it to you yeah. in a bag <laughs> yeah, give it to- <laughs> um and so you know so yeah it's like well that's not happening anymore right there's no more parts being swept off the cm oh, floor, the floors so are crystal clean yeah um and so what you know we have new fabs opening up, which is great, right? More more supply, except that these new fabs aren't making old parts. This was the thing I was having, the problem I was having with the uh, that huge bill that the United States government uh, signed to like give money to like Intel and, and Texas Instruments and stuff to build fabs in the United States. Great. That's awesome. The thing is, they're not going to build the cheap parts. They're going to build like high-end processors and DSPs and stuff. High margin not going to be... Yeah, high margin stuff because that's where the money is at in the United States. They're not building a thirty-two nanometer fab, right? <laughs> uh, we we like always say like the 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 brake controllers that go into automotive stuff, like that. They're not building fabs for that. No, no, they're building stuff like fourteen nanometer or smaller, right? Fabs that fourteen might even be too big, you know, <laughs> for that nowadays. Um, what what are they down to now? They're doing like five, seven. Is it seven? seven five. Okay. I know seven is a thing. I don't know if five is, though. I thought I read um, something about that the other day. And so, yeah, so these new fabs are coming online and they're not buying old wafer equipment. They're buying the brand new stuff and they're definitely not going to run low margin old stuff on their brand new equipment. And yeah, new fabs aren't going to make old parts. Um, but what was really interesting was at the end of this article, there's a like section that's like avoiding instant obsolescence or things you can try to do, which is it's kind of like what we were talking about, like redesigning your, your device. But um, even then you might accidentally just pick a part that just has stock and just not being actively made anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically start looking at parts that are readily available and they continually come back into stock. Right, like an ST, like STM 32s, like more modern devices, uh, like going to SAMD or like Cortex, you know, Cortex M0 cores, like from ARM and stuff. I'm like, uh, I was about to say Atmel, um, but uh, it's microchip now. <laughs> so, 
um, like going to those manufacturers um, and parts. So parts that are available, but also are routinely coming back into stock when they come out of stock, it's meaning that they're high enough margin that they're being actively run at, at fabs. Um, then look at like market se segments that are using your components and seeing if like it's actually being used at other places, which means there's more demand for it, which could be a bad thing, meaning that like the automotive industry is like eating up all your MOSFETs, for example. But the fact that there's this, a huge demand for those parts and if those parts are keeping coming back in stock, I mean that they're going to keep making those parts. They're not just going to obsolete them just because, you know, we're selling a lot of them. Um, and then actually put out orders at the manufacturers for your components, regardless of the lead times. So, like, if you don't want to change your product design, like, it's like, you know, maybe you have some on stock, but you're running low and um, it's not worth a redesign. You know, put an order out and just have that order out because then at least that manufacturer knows that there's still some life left in that part, right? Whereas, you know, if you redesign, then you don't need that old part anymore. I mean, just as much as you're <clears throat> potentially um, uh, freaking out about your design, I'm sure the chip manufacturers are freaking out about like, what do we do? You know? Yeah. What do we do? And I guess if you're if you and everyone else is putting in orders for, you know, whatever you need, if that you know if that's sending the the signal it needs to the right people, then they will mm -hmm. manufacture it. They will manufacture it. Yeah, yeah. eventually, or maybe, maybe in fifty two weeks. <laughs> in fifty two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> I I I'm kind of getting the feeling now that when you see numbers like that, that's just them saying whenever. It, Whenever. Doesn't, it doesn't Whenever. it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Like, yeah. When it goes to 52, you're like, okay, whatever. Like, I, I I'll put it this way. When I see 52, I in my mind, that part doesn't exist at all anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not even on market. The one that's really annoying is I see like I see a lot of stuff where it's like, oh, January of 23. I'm like, that's a long ways away, but it's not like it's half a year it's not that far it's not that far so like is that worth the redesign or do you just kind of like hold off and wait i don't know it's tough the thing about those uh, that's uh those kind of lead times is man i've, I've placed orders for parts like that and they just keep getting pushed out mm. yeah i think the big thing is you just got to pick parts that are actively being made still that's so tough. Um, and, and, and it is. Well, I'm saying it's tough because <clears throat> not everyone can just snap their fingers and redesign for the yeah. simplest little thing, right? Uh, a lot of people are locked into designs not due to their own requirements, but due to like regulations and agency requirements no, and things regulation, like that. Regulation, like, yeah, regulations, like let's say FCC design. Like, yeah. If you change a, a big part of your board, you're going to have to retest. Um, but safety regulations above and beyond like environmental pollution and things like that, uh, safety regulations, you can't just uh, change an op amp or change a processor or whatever and, and just be like, ah, it'll be fine. <laughs> like you can <laughs> be fine. <laughs> Electrically, it may be, but 
the the yeah, you know yeah, the yeah. agency's not going to look see it that same way. Yeah, and then the um the whole uh um changing your um oh man I had it and then you start talking about regulations and my brain went completely <laughs> somewhere else. Sorry. No, 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 it's not your fault. It's my <laughs> fault for not sleeping a lot, I guess. <laughs> mm. Yeah, avoiding obsolescence is like oh oh. What I was saying is is looking at parts that are coming back in the stock. I wonder if you can call up manufacturers and figure out like like weasel the information like hey, what microcontroller are you actually running right now? I doubt it. I really doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that and would be, but here's you know. the thing. I'm sure they're asked that question every minute of every day. Yeah. Now, I know there's some services out there that will like, you can see like stock over time. So that might be, does Octopart have that? Octopart ability? does history now. Yeah. Yeah. You can, yeah. you can look at it. And I mean, <laughs> it's abysmal right now. I know, but if, yeah. if there's movement up and down, yep. then that's what you're looking for. Right, right, right. If you see oh, no, anything I coming in. Oh, what I was about to say is, I mean, you might not be able to redesign because you have a part that has a specific function. Like a bagel pin. Like a bagel pin. That, yeah. I've, I've never seen a part that, you know, has a bagel pin except that one component. That's it. I mean, yeah, that's it. Uh, your toaster is toast if you can't get the bagel pin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I, I, you know, it, these are topics that we've been talking about fairly regularly now, and it's all situations where it's like, this is stuff I don't want to talk about necessarily. No, because it sucks. It sucks, right? Because it's just like, and, and, and I wish somebody say, could give us just say like, here's what you do, right? Yeah. Because you can't just, the, the solution isn't just to redesign. Right. And. So it's either you wait and hopefully show enough interest and enough of the line frees up so then they start making a part again or you wait forever and they eventually EOL it or you have to do a redesign. I'll say this is these are good things for if you're designing a new product now. These are good things to think about when you're doing that. Yes, yeah. Actually, you know what? One thing that I think I certainly don't do, and I haven't seen many other engineers do this. I, because of the way the world is running right now, I would almost hold, you know, with the design team or people, you select people on the design team, maybe hold like a bomb review every other week and just say, are we still able to make this new thing we're designing? And yeah. if something changes, you know, add it to the list to go and redesign that. Like if you are in, if you've made the decision to redesign, then you need to be nimble all the time and be able to yeah, switch based off of things. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm only building one of them, but the snacky control board was me basically finding a part that would work. I would add it to my Mauser cart, then design it and then order the part. So yeah. like I, I think I placed like three Mauser orders over the period of like two days. Just I made sure I had parts. You know, I wonder, I, I doubt this this actually happens, but at, at the big players, Mauser, Digikey, Arrow, those kinds of guys, if you put a part in your cart, is that 
like held for a certain period of time. That'd be awesome. But I, I didn't I, assume so. I really, I really doubt it. I bet you there's people who have like, Oh, I'm buying a thousand of these parts. And then they, it's in their cart and they're looking at other things and they go look at the news then to, and then they go to buy it. And it's like out. It's someone else purchased it. Yeah. Then have to go on Ticketmaster and pay, you know, 10 X markup <laughs> ticket. <master. Yeah. laughs> Chip master. Oh, there we go. <laughs> well, <clears throat> so last week I spoke a little bit about getting a new U tracer, which is a project I did back in, uh, 2018. I, uh, had this board that I, uh, uh, it was a kit basically for a, for a tube tester that I made a, like an adapter board for it and did all this fancy stuff with relay logic and things and made this nice fancy enclosure. Well, last week I'd mentioned that I was purchasing the like bigger brother version of it. The new version. The new version. And, and Parker asked like if I was going to do something with an enclosure and I was like, nah, I'm not going to it. Then, and I've thought about it all this week. And I was like, okay, yes, I am going to, but I'm a bad influence. Yeah. Well, here's, here's the, but I'm very, very limiting it. Um, I'm, I'm not going to do a whole bunch of fancy stuff. There's not going to be like a digital interface. There's not going to be controls. There's not going to be relay logic or anything like that. I'm just going to make like a nice box for it. That has the features that I want in it. Cause one of the things I realized is I, I ended up making that whole other enclosure with all the stuff for the U Tracer 3. So it had, you know, uh, rotary encoders for every pin that you could select what's connected to what and relay logic to handle all of that. It was super fancy and super cool. But I realized that like at the end of the day, I tested like the same two things over and over. Over and over again. Yeah, so like <laughs> it's like at that point, like, okay, so it was more like an exercise for fun. Uh, you know, if yeah. I ever needed to do anything else, well, I'm never going to need to, I shouldn't say never. I'm very likely to not ever going to need to do other things. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to hardwire sockets into it and just wire directly to them. The biggest thing that I'm going to change. It would prevent you from blowing it up again. It would. Exactly. Exactly. I want to make it bulletproof for that exact reason. <clears throat> I'm uh, the, the biggest thing that I'm going to uh, change with this is I am going to add a switch mode power supply into the enclosure such that the enclosure just connects to mains via a standard IEC cable. Mm -hmm. I may even just put a laptop power supply inside the enclosure and connect it to the, uh, the mains. Just, I want this whole thing to be contained where mm -hmm. the only thing that you need is a USB cable that goes to your computer and then an IEC cable that goes for mains um, yeah, you don't want the uh, the Raspberry Pi project syndrome. Yeah, actually, I've been playing video games on a on a Pi four recently, and it just has so many things hanging off of it. <laughs> even even just for like playing a playing a game, because you know you got the you got the micro SD. I have an I have a a, a, a jump drive connected to it. I've got an HDMI connected to it. You got power connected to it. You could very easily connect other things to it as well. Hub. Oh, I uh, yeah, I have a I have a wireless Xbox controller, so I have that connected to it as well and it's just yeah, it gets messy really really fast. So, uh I don't that's exactly what I want to avoid with this U Tracer 6 enclosure. Uh it's just basically 
like keep it as as clean and as simple as possible because uh i'm not going to use this for like production or anything like that but i do want it to be really simple and bulletproof such that i could if it ever came to the point where I needed to hand it to somebody, I wouldn't have to give them like instructions on how to use it. I could just say like, pull it out, plug it in, press a button kind of. Thing. Yeah, yeah. So, you, you know, I think the reason why the raspberry Pi has that, uh, reputation about it, about being a mess when you start setting it up is because all the ports are like on any direction on that board, like all like the directions. A, yeah. Whereas like a PC, no one really complains too much about that, but that's because all the ports are on the back, right? Mm, yep, yep. So you, so you plug everything on the back side. So if, if they made a Raspberry Pi that had, let's say, all the ports on one side, then I bet you that actually would help a lot. Hmm. Just wires they just, just going there's so many like ports spider. though that that they couldn't keep the same form uh, form factor. Form factor. Yeah. Yeah, they would have to change the form factor for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. It's a, uh, the Raspberry Pi. Maybe they could go ahead. Go ahead. No, sorry. No, I, I was just about to say, like, it's, it has so many features. Okay. You got the 40 pin connector or the uh, header on it. You have four USBs. You have HDMI out. You have a camera out. You have the power and you have SD card all on Doesn't a thing that's new- a little bit larger than a credit card. Like, pretty impressive doesn't the uh, new uh pi have two hdmi ports oh does it yeah well are there hdmi monitor now or what the display yeah, port or whatever it is no it's 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 hdmi mini yeah um you're right it does have two like they keep <laughs> they just keep adding ports to the thing yeah. <laughs> it uh, the the raspberry pi 4 is is really cool um, I've been having I've been having some fun with it recently, M- mainly for gaming. But yeah, the Raspberry Pi Four is the first one Raspberry Pi that so far I'm like, okay, this is actually usable as a computer now. Like it's ah, not yeah laggy. I you, I use the three a handful of times for uh, for just general computing, and you know if you're just getting on a browser and doing things, it wasn't bad. It really wasn't. Yeah, the three wasn't bad. It definitely chug sometimes Mm -hmm. i mean that might be like a little like computer elitist i guess but um society has moved on from slow computers (laughs) (laughs) i like that yeah like i compare it to like your phone right oh yeah like when like the fact that browsing the web on your phone it was just so much faster than a raspberry one two and three for the same yeah. internet speed. Oh, yeah. yeah was yeah. A, that was a problem. Right. But now the four is fast enough to where like. You know, most of the time it's like better to use than your phone. Oh, the Raspberry Pi four is is like for general computing. You I mean, for, you know, you buy a two hundred dollar monitor and a Raspberry Pi with with all the all the. You know, accoutrement that goes with it. And, uh, and you've got a system that is plenty fine for general computing yeah or just use your tv that you already have Mm. yeah 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 for sure i'm just saying like if 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 you were thinking about like a thousand bucks for like a laptop or something like that if you were just generally doing general computing a raspberry pi might be worthwhile yeah and just plug into your your tv yeah 
totally. All right. So, uh, <clears throat> one other topic in, in setting up for this podcast, I just went to Google and I t- like, I'm so glad I did this. It's so ridiculous. I, I went to Google and I just typed in ask an engineer, uh, because I was curious if like some Reddit thread or something like that would come up. I ended up finding a website. Well, it's, it's actually the school of engineering for MIT. So MIT has a whole page about ask an engineer. And these are answers to engineering's persistent questions. And this is a list that is incredibly long of just a ton of questions. Every one of these questions has a blog post written by somebody uh, for some kind of an answer. I'm not, I, I clicked on a handful of them and I realized that the question is, is broad enough that it doesn't necessarily, not all of them have answers per se, or not all of them have satisfactory answers, but at least let's put it this way. Somebody has attempted to answer them. And what I, what I, what I think is really funny about this is you go to this website and, and, uh, it's MIT and there's, there's like a level of, not elitism, but there's like a, a level of, I don't know, like you, you you kind of expect something great from MIT in a way. And the very first question in all, <laughs> this entire list of questions for engineers, which by the way, I'm going to say there's a, there's a bunch of really good questions in this list, but the very first question is why do our bodies make boogers? And it's like, come on guys, could, could you've like proofread this <laughs> a little bit? And <clears throat> to not have something that just makes it look a little ridiculous. A- and to kind of follow up, the second question is, do humans emit radiation? And then the third question is, how did life on Earth begin? Which those three questions all fit into categories that are kind of non-engineering for me at least like biology and then with how did life on earth begin you got history you have theology you have philosophy you have a lot of non-engineering uh uh, disciplines for those the fourth question however i think is where they start hitting like engineering questions that are either really good or um like good for somebody going into college yeah well, the when you look at this list, I do those first three, like why do you bodies make boogers, humans <laughs> emit radiation, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Where an engineer, no matter what your discipline, is probably not the most qualified person to answer that question. No. They might ask those questions, but maybe Yeah. Like and, and an engineer might know how to answer those questions, but like, why do you bodies make boogers? I would not ask an engineer of any discipline. I would ask like a biologist. Right, right, right. Well, and <clears throat> so the fourth question is, how long would it take to charge an iPhone with my fidget spinner? And and what I love about that question is like, you could totally ask that in an e- engineering interview. Uh, absolutely ask that question because there's there is absolutely not an answer to that. But there's a lot of thought process as to how you could approach that. And I would love mm-hmm. to see the gears in an engineer's head spin if, by asking that question because there's so many things you would have to know about all the systems in order to answer that question. So the answer is like, maybe, yes, but like, but how? And I think a lot of these questions fit in that exact same, uh, in that exact, exact same uh, 
situation. The, so the next question is, is it possible to make solar powered airplanes? Once again, it's like, like just asking the question just brings up a ton of other things that need to be uh, asked before that. And, and I love that because of these questions, all of them are really, really just like dry questions, really dry, mm. really simplistic questions. And I think they're well chosen, you know, minus maybe why do our book <laughs> bodies make boogers? <clears throat> but, but um, I, I would say go look through these, these questions. Cause there's, blog posts for every single one of them and there's some really good ones in here i like this one is it possible to make a batman suit <laughs> is it oh here's the next one <laughs> how do i get into mit <laughs> <laughs> that's great how does the internet work yeah some of these like again like man those first three they don't, really they don't set they don't set the tone for all the rest, right? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> this one I like a lot, but not it's not an engineering question. Well, maybe it could be, depending on if you, if you ask a data scientist, that might this might be it. Will we ever run out of music? That could be a data scientist problem. Can brain waves interfere with radio waves? Big enough antenna. <laughs> I think that goes back to the the question up above. Like, do humans emit radiation? Yeah. Eat enough bananas, you emit a little bit of radiation. I suppose that's, so. That's actually the banana, though, not the human. Well, <laughs> you emit internally, right? Yeah. I don't think it would actually, like, leave your body. Maybe it would. I don't know. Well, I mean, what humans like 65, 70% water and water is really good at stopping radiation. It also depends on what kind of radiation. Though, right, right. Exactly. Hmm. Is sleep necessary? <laughs> well, with that, let's wrap up this podcast <laughs> so I can go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. Take it easy. Thank you, Yes You Are Listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at MacFab.com slash Slack. We have almost 700 engineers in there. Come join us. Be one of us. One of us. <laughs>